Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. At the beginning of our Parsha, which we're going to talk about in a minute, or a little while, we have the assignation of the clans that will be dealing with the transport of the materials of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. So, you know, it gets taken down and put up all the time. It's our portable shrine in the desert, but there's a lot that goes with that. There's a, it's huge, right? It's a huge project to collapse it and to put it back up, yes, but it also has to be schlepped. For it to be schlepped, it has to be packed. For it to be packed, who are the only people who can pack? Levites, right? Because and they are only allowed to pack some things. The priests are the only ones allowed to pack the some things because they're the only ones allowed in there to touch them, right? So it is their job both to pack, but everything has to be carried as well. Like it has to be somehow schlepped. So what are the ways things can be carried through the desert? If you've got heavy stuff, you've got the menorah, the ark, the, huh? Camels. Okay, how do you get... <laughs> All right, I just had a visual. Right, so the huge curtains of the tabernacle. How are you putting that on a camel? Carefully. Working with Jews. All right, so, um, so one way to do it is to carry it. So certainly with the ark, what do we know about the design of the ark? It had poles. That those poles are for porterage. Those poles are so the ark could be carried. So it is carried on shoulders. Okay. How's another way that you can get things, big, awkward, heavy things moving in the desert? If it's not on a camel, you can't physically carry a cart. How can you roll? Yeah, like a slam. All right. When we talk about the midbar, we are not talking Lawrence of Arabia. They have animals. The animals have to graze. They are not in sand dunes, people. Right. Midbar wilderness, it means wilderness. It doesn't mean sweeping mountains of sand. You know, I I'm so glad you're saying this because this whole time that's all I had a vision of. That right. is hilarious. Seriously. Like, and, and if we hadn't had this conversation, I, you know, like this whole time. This whole time? Okay, so. Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry to burst yet another bubble in this room. Another sacred cow, as it were. <laughs> I was thinking calf. I, I never put that together before. Okay, so it's getting to be the end of the year. What can I tell you? So um, the academic year. So the it's it's wilderness. It's midbar, which means it's kind of between people's territories, right? If we think Egypt, high desert, right? So we think Egypt, you know, all the way up to you know Beersheba and stuff. So it's rocky. Parts of it are deserty, but it's it's Israel deserty. Right. Who's been to Beersheba? Who's been in the Negev? All right, think Negev, right? That there's scrub, there's brush. You know, there's every now and then a spring that feeds something so that there's some water to access, right? So it's it's like the Negev. It's not Lawrence of Arabia. So given that I've just corrected the topography <laughs> in your minds. <laughs> Carts. <laughs> Thank you. Carts, right, are an option. All right. All right. Oh my gosh, this is a tough group. I don't know what I'm gonna like do without y'all for a month. Who pulls the carts? The people of the. Oh, who pulls the carts? I guess people or animals. Animals pull the carts. And they had all these bulls. All right, so I have set you all up for chapter 7, <laughs> verse 1. All of that was an introduction. <laughs> all right, so Bert. On the day that Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed and consecrated it and all its furnishings, as well as the altar and its utensils. When he had anointed and consecrated them, 
the chieftains of Israel, the heads of ancestral houses, namely the chieftains of the tribes, those who were in charge of enrollment, drew near and brought their offering before the Lord. Six draft carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two chieftain and an ox for each one. So who pulls the carts? The oxen. The oxen. Right, so what's happening now is that they finished setting up the Mishkan. They mashacht the stuff, right? What is mashach about? Together. Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. Oh my God. Thank you. They are anointed, right? Mashach from Mashiach, Messiah. Mashiach, the anointed one. Yes? So they anoint all the stuff, the furniture and, and everything, right? Because it is being made sacred, set aside. And then the chieftains of Israel, each head of ancestral houses, the chieftains of the tribes, right, who are in charge of enrollment, bring an offering to God. What is their offering? Six carts, 12 oxen, a cart for every two chieftains, because it's expensive, right? So two would get together to bring a cart, because how many tribes do we have? 12. Uh-huh. Very good. So like if we have six carts, right, two per head of tribe, right, uh, and two oxen to pull the cart. Where do they get the oxen? Oh, okay. Where did they get the oxen? People. Gelson. Gelson. Okay. No, but they were running. They they they. They took all of it with them when they left Egypt. They plundered Egypt. So the oxen went with them through the sea. Yes. The sea part. Yes. There oxen there. Okay. Another image in your heads. I have to. Just like, I have to alter. It's not oxen. just people. There's it's stuff. They have a lot of stuff. Remember when they said to Pharaoh, we want to go and worship our God and we have to take our animals. Our animals. <laughs> right? So they they've got all of that with them. Right? Okay, so so these gifts are being brought, Bert. When they uh, had brought them before the tabernacle, the Lord said to Moses, Accept these uh, from them for use in the service of the tent of meeting and give them to the Levites according to their respective services. Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the Gershonites as required for their service, and four carts and eight oxen he gave to the Merorites as required for their service under the direction of Ithamar son of Aaron the priest. But to the Kohathites, he did not give any, since theirs was the service of the most sacred objects. Their porterage was by shoulder. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so they, they brought the offering, but the offering was not burned or anything. God just said, take the offering and give it to the Levites. Well, yes. the, these are not sacrifices. Oh. These are offerings of of. Porterage. Right, but this yeah. isn't the word for offering close to carbon. Well, whatever's going to be. Uh huh. The Hebrew I'm sorry. word that is translated offering. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the same word as sacrifice? Or? Um, I'm trying to find where is it? It's uh, three. Verse three? Verse three, third word. So. They are they are offering something that's going to draw them close to right, but it's not everything. Bikurim, the first fruits are not burned. The first fruits are eaten, right? So in this case, the oxen and the carts are being brought. They're given over as an offering, meaning they're not mine anymore. Mm -hmm. They're gods, but they're to be used for something other than um, sacrifice. All right. Huh? They were used for the porterage. Yes, 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 yes. All right, so they, so, but the Kohatites were not given any of this since their service was the most sacred object 
So it seems what if it's most sacred, how's it going to be carried? By hand, on their shoulders, right? Because it's heavy. You can't carry something like this for very long. Anyone who's had a toddler knows that, right? So you know they they're they're going to carry it on their shoulders. Does that mean that they had this tribe had more stature than other tribes? So let's hold that question. Let's hold that question. So ten is. The chieftains also brought the dedication offering for the altar upon its being anointed. As the chieftains were presenting their offerings before the altar, the Lord said to Moses, let them present their offerings for the dedication of the altar, one chieftain each day. And what was it? The one who presented his offering on the first day was Nachshon, son of Aminadab of the tribe of Judah. His offering, one silver bowl weighing 130 shekels and one silver basin of 70 shekels by the sanctuary weight, both filled with choice flour and oil mixed in for a grain offering. One gold ladle of 10 shekels filled with incense, one bull of the herd, one ram, and one lamb in its first year for a burnt offering, one goat for a purification offering, and for a sacrifice of well-being, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs. This was the offering of Nachshon, son of Aminen Adab. That's one tribe. <clears throat> this is going to go on with every tribe, and each head of the tribe is going to bring a, on another day. Okay. So this is going to go on. It's a lot of stuff, right? How much does a shekel weigh? A shekel. <laughs> in, in, no, I mean, is it an ounce, a pound, or... It's not a pound. Why so much detail about this minutia? We've had this conversation before. What do we remember from that conversation? Well, what I remember from the conversation is that because this is something that's being told to people who are many hundreds of years removed from its actual occurrence, but they believe it was the actual occurrence, that it's a way of making it real to them that you have to sort of, you have to have all the details. It's, you can't just say, well, they were in Egypt and all of a sudden we're here and nothing in So it's a, so it's, this is written many, many, many years after this would have been a historical reality if it's a historical reality. And so it's a way to keep it real for the people who have no experience of it, bless you. And don't, there's no living people who would have had experience of it, right? It's many, many, many generations later. So it's one way to keep it like present for them. But they could have said, we left Egypt and boom, we're at the promised land. There was a bunch of stuff that happened in the middle. So why all the so right so to, so, so Richard why, why keep this why why have all the detail of all this to show the arduousness to show the arduousness talk what does that mean in terms of Just the how, details how, how difficult it was but yet how important all of these things were to take and to take carefully with them okay so to talk about how important they were to remember uh, a tool I study things with all the detail and then when it came to the exam you just put one word down to remember it all and it, it sticks with you when it's all of this so to rem- by going into all the minutiae it helps them remember so th- Sarah it provides an example of what it takes to be Jewish that you have to give stuff that you have to participate, that you have to do specific gifts. So, because my question was going to be, after, if it's here to help them remember, why remember? Why, what's so important about remembering? And I think Sarah's getting to part of the point. Why is it important to remember this? Why, why tell all these details so that they can remember? Because what are they remembering? They are remembering our history, and our history says from the very beginning it was a communal project. Everyone had to give, and the folks who were most important had to give more. Those who had more, the wealthy and powerful among the people, had to give a silver.
for bull, 130 shekels, hello? That's, that's, I mean, that's... Three that's, and a quarter pounds. That's, there that's you right. go. Three and a quarter There pounds. you go. So that's a lot, three and a quarter pounds of silver. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a nice bowl, right? So mm-hmm. a gold ladle, like, I mean, this is, yeah. this is expensive stuff. So the more important you are, the more responsibility you have for supporting the communal project. That's why it's important to remember. Because them all out, even the least. I'm sorry? So it isn't okay, each of the twelve tribe right? We get a list of who was the chieftain, who was the tribe, because every single one is important. Everyone contributed and everyone deserves to be listed. How does this relate to last week? Thank you, Mark. Same thing. I was thinking that too. Can you elaborate on that? Each person matters. Look at each face. Lift up each face. That's how we are counted. That's how we count. You took the liberty of reading ahead? Is that what you just said? Really? Right. Yeah. The exact same thing. And it's, it's unrealistic to think that uh, even if they like took bunches of stuff with them from Egypt, that every single tribe would have kind of the exact same wealth, or that the chieftains of the tribes mm-hmm. would have the exact same wealth. So, so it's so it's not it's not entirely the case that. If you had more, you would give more because then there would be some chieftains who gave more than other chieftains. Mm. But there, there was probably some minimum requirement that if you're at this level, you have to give at least this much. Nice. And so they all give exactly the same thing, even though their wealth might not have been exactly equal. So that there's a kind of sense of if you're a chieftain, the minimum you need to give is what's listed here. Okay? All right. So because. Mr. Rajay read ahead. Um, <laughs> although it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that if it's one and all are going to be listed for the next bunch of psukim, it's the list of everybody bringing and what they brought. And they all brought exactly the same thing. All right, so since, since that's true, we're going to skip to verse 89. I know, right? That is not a number you generally hear. Is the Hebrew for all of them exactly identical? Yes. They can't teach you this stuff in rabbinical school. They really can't teach you how to teach Jews. They just can't. Because they have no idea in rabbinical school. Because they teach rabbinical students. They don't teach these Jews. All right. 89. When Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with them, he would hear the voice addressing him from above the cover that was on top of the ark of the pack between the two kruvim. All right. Thus he spoke to him. So we are finishing this whole thing with Moshe entering the tent of meeting to speak with whom? God. And how did that communication happen? Vayishma et hakol. Midaber elav, me'al hakaporet. He heard the voice speaking to him from on the kaporet, which covers the the ark. Al Aron, <laughs> on the ark. Okay, let me let me. <laughs> I keep stopping at the wrong place. So he hears the voice midaber elav speaking to him. May kaporet asher al Aron ha'edut from on the kaporet that was on the ark of testimony. Mi bein shnei hakruvim vaidaber elav from between the two kruvim, which is on the ark. Right, the ark has two kruvim facing each other on the top from between the kruvim God speaks to Moshe yeah alright so what do you think when I say kruvim cherubs 
baby, little fat little baby kids. <laughs> With a bow and arrow. Um, right. So, okay, we're going to blow up a third image in your head this morning. All right. Kruvim were, had wings, and their wings are lifted and towards each other. They are meant to be frightening. They are meant to be warding people who do not belong in there out. Just like the Sphinx, right? They are guardians of the sacred space, right? They are meant to be scary. They are meant to be powerful images of you don't mess with what's going on in here, right? So we've talked about the Kruvim before. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I, I do want to be clear. They're supposed to be, I don't know that these are so scary, but they're, they're majestic and they represent the power that is related to that ark. There are those who say that the Kruvim are the armrests mm. for the divine presence mm. that comes down on the ark. The ark is the footstool. The ark is the footstool. The kruvim are the armrests. So what this whole thing, this box with the big things above it becomes a throne. A throne. This is God's throne. What is in the holy of holies? God's throne. If you're going to have the king of kings, the queen of queens, come join you. (laughs) You better give them a throne. Right? All right, so Carol, I want you to take a stab at drawing. Drawing? Yeah. You're going to draw the the ark with the Kruvim. No. <laughs> no, no, she's, she's, doing she's, she's the boss, is what she's saying. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. And Carol? <laughs> you, you do what you're told. I'm going to say that I'm not going to help you with what it's supposed to look like. Oh, dear. I know. Because, because I, want, I want you to, from this description, because that's what we've got. Okay. That's anybody, what we've got. Anybody who's seen Raiders of the Lost Ark knows, knows what it looks like. Knows exactly what it looks like. The <laughs> well, are the armrests, and God is sitting on the tent, right? No, no, no God no, has no, come no, into the, the tent. Oh, no, not the moving. Okay, okay. This is oh, no. stationary So, so. I already got it wrong. There's no wheels. There's no wheels. They have poles. All right, watch me. I'm standing on my chair, right? All right, I'm sitting. I am am sitting. I'm fine. Now imagine that these are higher. Yeah, right. All right, so... Yeah. So this, my, my, the empty part under my chair is the ark. This is the top of the ark. The seat of my chair is the top of the ark. I'm sitting in the back. My feet are on the footstool. And, my, and the armrests, right, the kruvim are on top of the ark as my armrests. You see the image? But that's not are inside the box. Huh? Yes. No. My feet are on the footstool. My feet are on top of the footstool. So, right, Kruvima. So, that's what I'm saying. Figure out how... Right, that works, but the Kruvim, because so maybe the heads of the Kruvim are here facing each other. My armrest, yes, okay, shh, shh. Everybody, listen to Sarah. How did the Kruvim get transformed into these fat little churros? That is thanks to the church, as usual. What's our stuff that gets transmuted into something else often is through the church. But the interesting thing is that the church puts gargoyles on the outside. I'm sorry? There's gargoyles on the outside of church to keep away bad spirits from coming into their church. Yet then at that, they change those into cherubs. Angels. It's interesting that they have gargoyles actually outside their church for safety, right? It's got to be the same exact sure. idea. Sure. But the temple had them outside as well. 
They were outside. But the Kruvim are inside. I mean, you need, you need more than one set of guardians. Right. So wouldn't the, uh, wouldn't the light origin for the, for the cute angels not be the church, but uh, Roman mythology itself? Where you had you had sort of the assistance to the gods walking around doing things. Yeah, yeah, but I think the way it gets put those images through the church get put on the Kruvim. Oh, okay. Right, like to, so. Right, so they'll take something from Roman mythology and, and transmute it into something. Yes, and now it gets associated with these Kruvim with cherubs, okay. right? Because this is a very specific word, yeah. right? Okay, this is good. This is perfect. This is beautiful. Okay. This is fabulous. Okay. All right, so I'm just going to, because you know what a great artist I am, I'm just going to add a little bit, which is this. Here's the ark. This is the ark. This is on top of the ark. Okay, so just finish this one, finish this guy, and then we're good. Okay. You have a throne. Your feet don't touch the floor on a throne. You have a stool in front of you. You sit on the throne. Your feet, as the monarch, are on the stool. So the chair is under God's feet. Ha ha! Wait for it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Here are the poles. Okay. Work with me now, people. All right. Beautiful, right? Okay. Here is our. Here's our ark. Let's hear it for Carol Kleinman. Artist extraordinaire. So this is the pole for Porteridge on the side of the ark. This is a box. This is a box. The box is covered with gold on the outside and the inside. The box has a top on it. Connected to the top are the Kruvim. Here are God's feet. <laughs> that is excellent. Thank you. Okay, wait, wait. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. God's feet are on the footstool. So God's arms are on the armrests. God's presence is here on the throne. This is the image from the ancient world. You have a throne. You have a footstool. The footstool is hollow. What goes in the footstool in the ancient Near East when you have a king? The treaty. What treaty? In the ancient Near East, what treaty goes in the footstool? The treaties between the king and the vassals the king has conquered. A covenant is cut between a ruling monarch and the vassal kings they control. Through that covenant, the covenant tablet for all of those deals are put in the footstool of the king. So when anyone comes before the king and they kneel down before the king, they are looking at the footstool within which is contained the agreement that says if you kneeling down vassal king break that agreement, what happens? (laughs) Be reminded. The person sitting on this throne is the one to whom your loyalty is exclusively due. Exclusively. Now does it begin to make some sense that why this is God's footstool? If this is the throne and this is the footstool, what do you put in the footstool of the king? The covenant. The covenant. The, The covenant. 
The Torah goes in, well, the Ten Commandments, whatever you want to say, goes in the box that is the footstool. That's how it's done. Right? Everyone knows that. (laughs) That's how it's done. So when you come to the throne, you know, you are, you're reminded that this is the king to whom your exclusive allegiance is due. Yes? Okay. Yes. Okay. So awesome. <laughs> we are more awesome than you knew. All right. All of this is an attempted meeting. Right, so we're not going into oh, okay. the whole thing about the tent of meeting, meeting? the tent of the pact, the Elhel Moed. Okay. There's read, read, no, okay. read Friedman, um, who wrote the Bible. Okay. He has a whole discussion of is the Ohel Moed the same thing as the Mishkan? Okay. Uh, and it's a fascinating study. All right. Um, did I see something else? Yes. So is the reason, so is the, so is the reason why there's no kneeling uh, in, in Jewish liturgical practice is that also because of the church? Yes. In other words, presumably before the church, when this stuff was going on, you'd be kneeling before this. You wouldn't be just standing around. Correct. Right? Because, well, actually, you wouldn't be kneeling. What would you be doing? Well, you'd be prostrating. You would be prostrating yourself. Yeah. Like this, yes? Right. What does that look like? Islam. Yeah. Islam. Islam. Yeah. <laughs> so it's first Islam. Right, but in general, general. because it was much easier living under Islam to convert. It always has been. So how do you show you haven't converted? You stop doing that. You stop prostrating yourself in a position that now means you are worshiping Allah through Islam. So you can't do that anymore. How do you prove you haven't gone over you don't do the posture during worship that is emblematic of Islam. If we went on a field trip, which is my suggestion, uh, of the older synagogues in Europe uh, and looked at the arcs, because I think we all probably have gone to sanctuaries in Europe, I seem to recall that they have these cherubs and these. Some do, some don't. It's yeah. not a, you know. It would be well, I mean it. Could be. I, I mean it's not. I don't think it's so much related to geography. Some, for some congregations, that continues to be a moving image. For others, it's not. For others, and most of the ones I've seen, like, are more about words than it is about images. Because um, yeah, we have a thing about images. The Temple Israel has this. In Has the Kruvim, yeah. Sarah. <laughs> It's the one exception. It's the one exception. It's the time where we risk it. Because that's the one of the holiest moments of the year. So the service leader, like in Duluth, I did it. You know, you you prostrate yourself before the open ark at this moment where you're praying that the king is present. Right? I mean, I, you know, I mean, you, you get it that this is metaphor and language that, you know, it's complicated for some of us. But, right, the, the queen is present. It makes sense you do. And so you, at that, at that moment, and during the voter service, you, it's the great Alenu. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the Alenu that Alenu was written for. Mm-hmm. Right. Alenu was not written for Shabbos. Alenu was not written for daily mm-hmm. prayer. Alenu was written for Rosh Hashanah. Mm-hmm. The king, Avi, right, I mean, the... It is on us to worship, right? Adon Hakol, the master of everything. And so at that moment, we demonstrate our absolute dedication to worship the one. It's a, you know, it's choreography, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's powerful. This is the first time I can remember that... Um, the image of God is, is made anthropomorphic this size. Uh, he's not, this is not, or she's not, um, uh, a cloud or something in the sky or lightning and thunder. <coughs> They're actually making a chair <coughs> for, for God. That, that's, that's a big difference from everything 
else I think we've, we've heard before. So let's be clear. The image is the image of a throne. God doesn't have feet. <laughs> okay, good. Or arms. Good. You're relieved now? Did I just... Did, you're relieved? Oh, you feel better? Or nostrils. God does... Or nostrils. God doesn't have feet or arms. The image is the image of a throne. And the... the, the Kodesh Kedoshim fills with the presence of God and you can't enter then. You can't go in there. Right? But there's a voice. For sure there's a voice. But there's no throat. And there's no vocal cords. <laughs> Just to be clear. Talking about the Ark and the Kruvim, yep. our Arks here are designed around the burning bush. In case people didn't notice. Look at it. The burning bush. I'm sorry? Wings symbolic. Did who have wings? These arcs. Did they have any wings on them? The Kruvim have wings on them. I know, but there, were there symbolic wings on them? No, the, the wings are on the Kruvim. Why do you need symbolic wings when you have real wings? <laughs> Those are, they're wings. Why do you need wings on an ark? You don't. You need wings on the Kruvim on the ark, right? An ark doesn't need wings, they're, it's going to be carried. Right? If the ark starts flying, we're all was there a in trouble. Was there what? No. It's just symbolic. It's, it's symbolic. Yeah, because God doesn't have a body, so God doesn't have a tush. Right. Right. But God. Right. So the imagery is to evoke the footstool in which goes the covenant okay. of the vassal kings to the big king. Yeah? And reminding the obligation of those who come before the throne that they owe their exclusive allegiance to that king. And that if they violate that, what's going to happen? Really bad things. (laughs) Really, really bad things. All right. Go to, back to where we started. 7-1. 7-1. So they finished setting up the tabernacle. We read all that. He's anointing and consecrating, right? Number two, Vayakrivu Nisi'e Yisrael. Who's being brought forward? I am missing Rita Ephros right now, people. I am me- missing her very much. All right, so Nisi. So it is related to Prince. But what's the Hebrew? What's the Hebrew come from? Huh? Huh? He says. Nisi a Yisrael. I hope she's listening to this podcast and feels really, really, really bad for leaving us. Just saying. All right. Nisi A Yisrael. Nisi A. I don't know how to do this in transliteration. Nisi A Yisrael. The root is. Not so. What does that mean? Think back to last week. It's a hint. Se'u et rosh kol adat Israel. Lift up the heads of every person of Israel. Same root. The nasi. Sometimes prince, sometimes chieftain, sometimes whatever, is someone who has been lifted up. Right? Same root. So who's being called forward here? Nisi A Yisrael, the ones who have been elevated. But I want to stay with this language. Because Torah does. This is not an accident, people, right? That here we have 
The ones who have been lifted up are the ones to come forward. All right, so we're going to go back to the beginning of this Parsha. No. We are going to 421. Chapter 4, verse 21. (laughs) Not page 421. Chapter 4, verse 21. Got it? Yes, something new and different. God spoke to Moses. By the bear deny El Moshe Limor. The first pasuk, right? The, let's go to the second pasuk of the of the parsha, which is what the parsha is named for. W- verse twenty-two. You see it? There you go, Robert. Naso at Rosh B'nai Gershon. What is that talking about? But what does it mean there? Census counting. Yes. Counting. <clears throat> Count Gershon mm-hmm. by lift the head. So counting is lifting the head. Yes? Yes. <laughs> what? Oh, the census, yes. Were they asked, are they citizens? Um, They all had the same status. (laughs) Which, and what was their status? Immigrants. Undocumented. Their status was, they were refugees. They weren't citizens, they were refugees. They're in the Midbar. They're in the wilderness. They have no land. They have no home. They have no country. They have no papers. All of us were without status. All of us, yeah. Exactly. All right. And it was truly a caravan. It was truly a caravan. Indeed it was. Which is, to our point earlier, why remember all of this? Why remember? We talked about why remember the details of the Mishkan and the offerings. Why remember this whole period of our history? Wouldn't it be better to forget it and say that was miserable? This is not a pretty book. This is not a happy story. So why keep telling it? Oh my gosh, this is definitive of who we are? Really? This is the story we pick? It's count Gershon, count the Gershon, because I, I don't want to lose my train of thought here. Um, count the Gershonites, right? Look at verse 25. They shall carry the cloths. Someone tell me that first Hebrew word of verse 25. Venasu. Venasu. Oh, really? 
Nasu, you seeing a pattern here? So what is carrying? So yes, it means they're going to do porterage. They're going to carry. When you carry something, you have to lift it up. Your service is lifting it up. Yes? This is about the Gershonites that made them designated as the lifters. I don't know. I mean, why? why, What's special? Just because. Because we talk about Levites going. Just because. So, you know, part of the historic memory is that there were clans within the Levitical system. There were clans. And so each clan, only the priests could actually deal with the sancta, but once it was covered, the cl- there were clans of Levites who could who could carry it. Yes, clans of Levites. So why this one and another one? Probably this is a historical memory of uh, status between the clans. So we've talked about Moses and Aaron. That probably there was a Mushite clan. We know that there's a Mushite clan, and and an Aaronid. There's probably an Aaronid clan. So the the, the things between Moshe and Aaron become historical. Right. Remnants of the the tensions and the the changing fortunes of different clans within the and of course once you write it down it's kind of static. Right. Um, all right. So their service is to lift stuff up, and that is and it is a status, right? That's a special status when you are the ones chosen. Nasu like that. Y'all will lift it up and carry it. All right. So you got you, you with me here? Yes, yeah, the ones who have been lifted up are making the offerings at the end of the Parsha, right? You're going to count the Gershonites by lifting up their heads because their service is going to be to lift up the Sancta. Yeah? Ready for the coup de gras? You ready? You ready? All right. Let's go to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 22. What page in the green book? 829 in the green book. Page 829. Chapter 6, verse 22. You with me? Yes. 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 God speaks to Moshe saying, 23. Thus will you bless, tell Aaron, thus will you bless the people. Israel, you will say to them, Verse 26 to Panav Elecha. Shalom. What is the word? Yisa Adonai. Panav Elecha. May God lift up God's face toward you. I don't know. I'm not even going to try to translate it and pass that because that's what it means. It's not even, it's not even an idiom. It's beyond even noticing. Like when we said last week, we noticed. This is... So we've talked about counting yeah. being about we mean something. Yes? We are meaningful in being counted. Our face is lifted up. It's about dignity. We talked about it being about a role. Each one of us has a specific role to play. Each of us has a specific job to do in this world. According to Torah, that service is elevating. That service lifts things up that then lift up the mission and in doing so we are dignified we are dignified through service to each other to the community to the world and that is how in progressive Judaism we would talk about serving the one capital O because it's all one if we're going to serve the one we're going to have to do some heavy lifting, people. That is not a bad thing. 
according to Torah. And this is not the suffering servant, right? This is not that. This is the dignity of having to work hard to lift things up because it's heavy, isn't it? So the more people you have lifting. Is the centrality of, of Nassau where one of the meanings could be chief and prince? Is, that, is, is there an implied obligation on the part of the prince to lift up the people? Yes. Yes. You have been elevated. And so if you're elevated, what is that going to imply? You're going to be lifting up. It better be the people around you. Better be the dignity of the mission. Right? Yeah. It's kind of a partnership between the people and God. Well, yeah. So that... Yep. Indeed. Go to your handout. You have my highlights, so just pay attention and you can see my highlights. Go to my first highlight in the middle of the first paragraph. The Levite's job is to carry all of the aperturances of the tabernacle through the desert. And yet here is this word, naso, raise them up. They are weighted down. They are raised up. What lesson intended is intended by connecting these <coughs> opposites? Go to the middle of the next paragraph. As a rabbi saw it, the most profound freedom, because we're talking about being freed from slavery, we're in the midbar, right? As a rabbi saw it, the most profound freedom is actually another more ennobled form of servitude, service to God. We ascend to Sinai to be raised up in servitude. We climb up to become weighted down by 613 commandments. We climb up to be weighted down. Turn the page to the back of that page. To my next highlight, second paragraph. The Kohatites do not receive gifts, perhaps because they don't need them. Instead, they carry the most precious gift on their shoulders, their service to God. They are raised up above all the other Levites with this most sacred service to your question. Did they have status? It seems this interpreter is saying yes. And they carry it with great difficulty on their own aching backs. Perhaps in the end, it is the things that weigh us down that actually raise us up most profoundly. As we travel through the wilderness of our lives, God beckons us to discover our special burdens intended for our shoulders only which are also our most precious gifts. It is not that God seeks to burden us. God knows and waits patiently for us to learn that when we discover what is meant for our shoulders only, the act of carrying will become a way of being raised up. Once we find our role, once we find our mission, once we find our own unique way to serve, it can't do anything other than lift us up and dignify us as we serve. All right, turn the page. To the second page of the Velveteen Rabbi's piece. So you see the Velveteen Rabbi, turn it over to the next page and you see my highlight second paragraph but the Kohatites a third group of Levites did not receive oxen or carts because they carried the most sacred objects and they carried them on their shoulders the Ark of the Covenant which our tradition says contained both the whole tablets and the shattered set the golden menorah the table and vessels all of these were carried directly by the people of the tribe of Kahats go turn over again and she quotes a midrash that says talking about the oxen going straight forward and she there's a midrash that has a word play that says don't read they went straight read instead they sang the oxen were singing it's very midrashic just, just go with it 
I love this reading of the task of the Kohathites. It's not that they were extra burdened by having to carry the holy implements on their shoulders instead of having an oxen and wagon. Rather, their service was a blessing. It was their very service which allowed them to sing, right? So the oxen are singing, and then, so the, the image is that the Kohathites, because they didn't have oxen, they were singing. We should all be so lucky as to be able to throw our whole selves, not only mind and heart and spirit, but also even our bodies into serving our creator. Drop down to the last paragraph. When we put our whole selves in all four worlds, body, heart, mind, and spirit into the service of the one, that's when we can bless others, right? Because here we have the priestly blessing. See how it all comes together? That's when we can bless others. That's when we can link God's own name with our names. That's how we open the spigot for cosmic abundance. Not merely through saying the words of the priestly blessing, but through committing our whole selves to serving others and in so doing, serve God. All right? The last one, turn it over where it says exertion required. The tabernacle's complete. Each of the princes of the tribes brings offerings, right? But the clan of Kohat is not given anything because their special task is to carry the Ark of the Covenant, in case we weren't clear about any of this. Menachem Mendel of Kutsk was famous in his own day for having very high and moral spiritual expectations of his followers. Quote, in the service of the holy, you must work hard. Quote, they were to carry it on their shoulders. If someone says, I have not exerted myself, but I have found, do not believe them. The Kutzker Rebbe turns to this sentence, this pasuk in our Parsha, and says, what is the spiritual meaning, the spiritual teaching of they were to carry it on their shoulders? You have to work for it. So if someone tells you, I have achieved spiritual maturity and enlightenment, and I didn't have to do anything. Kutzka Rebbe says, not true. Don't believe them. The only way you get that stuff is to work. How many people sit with me at 1115? It's by deeds. deeds. I'm not going to define it. I'm going to say you have to work hard. At 1115, we're going to sit. Is that always easy? No. No. Some days it is miserable. To sit in silence. Miserable. Hard. Awful. That's what it takes. Some of us are going to go to yoga at 1 o'clock. Lisa, is the yoga class we go to easy? (laughs) Not. It is torture. It's It's torture. It's pain. And we learn to lean into the pain. Don't we? We learn to lean into shaking thigh muscles. And warrior too, don't we? So we explore what it means to have it hurt and go, okay, we're building strength. And that's what it takes. It's hard to build strength. It's not easy, right? Those, how about the most mature, responsible people you know? Have they had charmed, easy lives? Heck to the no. The people I want to get advice from, the people I want to turn my soul over to when I don't know what to do and I don't know what's going on, are people who have walked through the fire. They are people who have schlepped the ark through the midbar. And they know what it is to sweat and grunt and take the next step anyway in service to something bigger. Those are the people. Those are the people. I believe, he says, that Judaism can be joy- must be joyful if it is to survive in our hearts and beyond our lifetime. But that does not mean that it cannot make demands on us. A Judaism that makes no demands is just another form of entertainment and one that may not be able to compete with the high-tech forms so readily available in the 21st century. So how do we square that circle? Offering joy while making demands. For me, the answer lies in a Talmudic teaching based on the task given to the clan of Kohat, that of carrying the Ark of the Covenant. 
It must have been an arduous task indeed, walking for hundreds of miles, carrying the sacred chest with its contents, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. The ark carried those who carried it, says the Talmud. If the Talmud is to be believed, the men of Kohat knew that they were engaged in singularly important work, and they were happy, fulfilled. They were so happy that the physical exertion required did not matter. They realized they were on a spiritual as well as a physical journey toward the promised land, and that thought filled them with joy. People don't mind the demands made upon them if they understand and subscribe to the goals. We need to keep the goals of Judaism in mind at all times, less than the repair of our world, nothing less than the repair of our world, the repair of our souls, the sanctification of the mundane, in a word, holiness. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.